we pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. I can't imagine a more somber Monday Thursday than one like today without the Lord's Supper. It was on that Thursday, that night he was betrayed, that Monday Thursday, that Jesus took bread and wine and said, This is my body. This is my blood. Do this often in remembrance of me. And it was of the reality of what Jesus had done that St. Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The early church took these words literally. Shortly after the Lord's ascension, Christians began meeting every Sunday to celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection. And this was during a time of, of immense persecution. Christians not only were not allowed to, to worship, if they were found meeting together, they would be put to death. And yet, despite this, Christians would, would come out of their homes to meet wherever they could in, in catacombs and caves, risk their own deaths to proclaim the Lord's death. And what brought them together was nothing else but the Lord's Supper. Now keep in mind that the New Testament wasn't written down yet. It wasn't until years later that the apostles finally started writing letters uh, which would be read in churches. So until there was a, a New Testament, even before there were letters and books uh, to, to read and preach, they gathered together to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection by eating and drinking. The Lord's Supper was the central thing in the life of the New Testament church. In fact, Jesus only says the words New Testament one time. And it's here as he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. The New Testament is the Lord's Supper. The church draws its life from the New Testament. The New Testament church would not and, and could not survive without the Lord's Supper. And yet, we as New Testament Christians have been temporarily cut off from that thing that gives the church its life. The Old Testament Christians actually had a term for this, exile. The Old Testament Christians had been exiled before, and we have been exiled from communal worship. And it's not a good thing to be exiled like this. But what we are experiencing now is not unprecedented in the life of the church because we in the church live in the world and the world is filled with sin and, and has the results and consequences of sin. And so this exile was the situation of the Christians in Psalm 137. The Israelites had been exiled, cut off, from worship at the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was on a hill called Zion. The Israelites had taken God's gifts for granted at the temple and, 
And God allowed them to be carried off into captivity in Babylon. Babylon, by the way, was, was a pretty prosperous and lush place, really not a bad place to be exiled in, apart from the whole being taken captive thing. But the people say, besides the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, and yes, we wept as we remembered Zion. No matter what they still had, they lamented the fact that they could not worship together at the temple where God had literally promised to be. And worse, their captors and tormentors mock them by asking them to, to sing for us one of those songs of Zion. In other words, stop crying, sing us a happy song. It'd be kind of like asking someone to, to stop mourning at a funeral and instead sing happy birthday. And it wasn't just that they wanted to hear a happier song, that they were sick of, of those sad songs. They wanted the Israelites to forget the temple, to forget what God had given them at the temple, and to forget God's mercies. But the Israelites respond, If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget how to play music, May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my highest joy. This is so backwards from our modern American culture where, where everything is about positive feelings and positive vibes. Sometimes the solution to sadness is to not pretend to be happy and to pretend everything is okay. Rather, to mourn, to lament. Sin brings grief, regret, loathing. These emotions are signs of repentance and our acknowledgement that we need God's mercy. That's what the Israelites now know. It would be better for them, they say, if their tongue would stick to the roof of their mouth than for them to forget what amazing blessings God had given them at the temple. The picture is, is of someone being parched of thirst, uh, someone left to, to, to dry up in a hot desert. In fact, it would be better for them to stop being happy altogether than for them to forget the temple, and even for them to, to be sad. It would be better for them to not be happy all the time. So for us, too, it would be a sad thing if, if after all this is over, we, we think, well, well, if church can be done virtually, maybe I don't need to be there. Maybe we can do with, with every other Sunday church. Maybe the less we do it, the more special it might feel. No, just as it is not good for a marathon runner to run with a parched mouth or to say, I only need to drink water every other race. It's not good for us who are on the way to heaven, for our mouths to be dry and our tongues to stick to the roofs of our mouth as we are exiled in this world and right now as we are exiled, exiled temporarily from the Lord's Supper. But even worse would be to be cut off forever, burning in the fires of hell where there is no quenching of thirst, because we took God's mercies for granted and forgot 
all of his blessings. It was to prevent this very thing, that Christ came into the flesh as a real man, not just virtually, but really physically present. Christ longed to be with us, to never be cut off from us. And so in order to make that happen forever, Jesus himself became parched. Jesus himself went without so that we wouldn't be without forever. After Jesus finished instituting the Lord's Supper on that Maundy Thursday, he said, I tell you that I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from, until now, from, from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What does this mean? Some Christians take these words to mean that, that we can never drink wine. But really, there's, there's a deeper meaning to this. That's not at all what it means. There's something deeper in Jesus' words. Psalm 22, which we'll hear later, describes Jesus' own emotions on the cross. You can, you can hear the Messiah calling out in the words of the psalm. And Jesus would think in the words of the psalm, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. Jesus' own tongue is dry. On the cross, one of Jesus' sayings is, I thirst. Obviously, Jesus is parched from not being able to, to physically drink on the cross. But that's not all. This happens right after Jesus cries out in agony and pain. After being forsaken, he says, by God. Literally, being cut off from God. At that moment, Jesus himself is out of communion with God and out of communion with us. He's out of communion with the Father. And Jesus' reaction is thirst. Jesus thirsts for communion with God and with us. Jesus had to be exiled from communion, to be excommunicated from God in order to make sure that we never would be. In fact, by this, Jesus restored that unity. He restored our unity with God. And once his saving work was done, it meant that we could commune with God. It meant that we do commune with God. It meant that that great banquet feast of heaven, that heavenly Zion, is open to us. Christ will feast with us eternally in heaven. And just because we are unable to feast with Christ fully now in heaven, or even not quite yet fully here on earth in the Lord's Supper, it doesn't mean that we are left helpless on our own in exile. Remember, Jesus loved his own who are in the world. He loved them to the end. Right after Psalm 22, which is Jesus' lament on the cross, is Psalm 23. You know it. The Lord's my shepherd shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Waters even better than any river of Babylon or, or any river or place here on earth. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod 
and your staff. They comfort me. God's rod and staff are pictures of God's word. Even now, you have God's word. This is your comfort in the shadow of death. This is your comfort as you walk through the dry valley. Even though we may be exiled from the Lord's table, still we are not in want. God provides. And we pray that soon God would prepare a table for us once again with a cup that is overflowing. But we know that this exile is only temporary, that we will live in the house of the Lord forever and there forever feast and commune with him. It's in the Israelites' exile that they finally really realize and finally truly appreciate what it was that they had thrown away. And perhaps through our exile, we will appreciate God's holy communion more now than we did before. But know that your perception doesn't change reality. Your perception of how God loves you doesn't change the fact that God loves you more than you could ever know. In the same way, your perceived feeling of God's word doesn't make the word any more important or powerful. The word is powerful. The word does what it says. And also, your perceived desire of the sacrament doesn't make the sacrament any more special. The Lord's Supper is Christ's true body and blood that forgives your sins and strengthens you for this life and the one to come. God can use this exile of ours, this fast that we have been forced to undergo, to reawaken in our minds how gracious he is and has always been by feeding us abundantly with himself, with his own body and blood. We might not like that we are unable to gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but the solution isn't to invent some sort of pragmatic rite of virtual communion, which is nothing but an oxymoron. The solution is to mourn what we have temporarily lost and to ask for God's mercy so that we may be able again to soon quench our thirst. We might not always recognize what amazing gift the Lord's Supper is, but the solution isn't to do it less and to enact a fast on ourselves to, re, to refrain from the sacrament and, and partake of it only every couple of weeks or every couple of months and wait for our perceptions to match the reality of what it actually is. The solution is to repent and then to believe in faith that forgiveness is granted through Christ's body and blood and then to do as he says and partake of it believe that also as we receive it, Christ grants us his strength because he feeds us with himself. He is the only one who can grow our perception to match his reality. He is our heavenly food. And that's what food does. Food helps us grow. Heavenly food helps us grow in our desire for the heavenly Zion, the heavenly hymn. 
And as our desire for the heavenly Zion grows, our desires for things of this world inevitably shrink. And so when crazy and even horrible things happen, like an exile or pestilence, we can look beyond them to our Lord's return. We can look beyond them to Jesus' rule at his Father's right hand, still in control over all things. We can look beyond them to Jesus' love for his own who are in the world and how he loved us to the end. We can look beyond them to the rod and staff of his holy word, which is our comfort amidst the shadows of death. We can look beyond them to the greater and more complete feast of heaven, the banquet of heaven, the heavenly Zion. And so according to the Lord's will, whenever we may be able again to gather together, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, may we proclaim the Lord's death, and may we proclaim his undying love until he returns. And know that in the meantime, because he loves you to the end, Christ will not let you go dry. You have his word. In Jesus' name, amen.